Excited Utterance, The Evidence and Proof Podcast, Episode 122, Henry Wong, Rethinking Evidence Rules in an Age of Bench Trials. Welcome to Excited Utterance. I'm your host, Ed Chang from Vanderbilt Law School. Excited Utterance is your podcast for cutting-edge scholarship and developments in the world of evidence. We bring virtual workshops to you throughout the academic year. This week, we welcome back Henry Wong. Henry is a visiting professor at Indiana University's Maurer School of Law and is also an associate professor at China University of Political Science and Law in Beijing. He teaches and writes primarily in the field of evidence. Our podcast today features Henry's recent article, Rethinking Evidentiary Rules in an Age of Bench Trials. It is forthcoming in the University of California, Irvine Law Review. In it, Henry takes a much needed look at the proper evidentiary rules for bench trials. Typically, when we think about the rules of evidence, I think we think about jury trials and the use of admissibility rules to shield the jury from improper inferences and improper evidence. But jury trials, as we all know, are on the decline, and bench trials are one of the mechanisms that is fast replacing them. Henry asks whether we should have evidentiary rules in the bench trial context, and if so, what they might look like. Henry, delighted to have you back on Excited Utterance. Welcome. Thanks, Ed. It's my great pleasure. So your article, of course, explores evidentiary rules for bench trials. When we think of the rules of evidence, though, I think it's safe to say that we usually think about jury trials. So why bench trials and what got you thinking about this problem? First of all, Ed, I agree with you that when people think of American justice system, they would firstly think about uh, jury trials. But what people often forget is bench trials also represent about 50% of the caseload in the federal district courts. And the fact is, in the past few decades, the percentages of bench trials has exploded. In the meantime, the number of jury trials has basically vanished. Frankly, as we both know, all trials are constantly vanishing nowadays due to a preference of settling out of court, pre-bargaining in criminal cases, negotiation and arbitrations in civil cases. My point is, bench trials represent the clear norm in federal courts nowadays, with the margin widening every year. With regarding to taking evidence in bench trials, the cliche is, Judges typically say, oh, I will let the evidence in and just give it the weight it deserved. And that's basically free proof to me. And I don't think it's a good idea. Why are we stuck with the two extremes here? On the one extreme, it's free proof. On the other extreme, it's a large cluster of exclusion rules in the federal rules of evidence. Between the free proof and the FRE, is there really no middle ground for developing evidence rules? 
That's why I explored it in this article the possibility of making evidence rules for bench trials in this middle ground. Is this trend toward bench trials the same in the civil context as it is in the criminal one? Yes, Ab. This trend is the same for civil and criminal trials, and in both federal and state courts. That reminds me how serious this problem is. And so far, I'm only referring to the period before COVID. During the COVID-19 pandemic, courts all over the country had no jury trials for more than a year. Here's a question that for a long time wasn't actually entirely clear to me, and I think that many of our listeners might share. So what are exactly the doctrinal rules governing evidence at bench trials? Do the rules of evidence technically apply or do they not apply at all? Surprisingly or not, the answer is yes. Technically, the federal rules of evidence do apply in both bench trials and jury trials. Rule 101 and the Rule 1101 of FRE talk about the rules applying to proceedings in federal courts without any distinction between jury or bench trials. Also, there's a federal third circuit case, if my memory is correct, named in Unisys Savings Plan Litigation in 1999, that makes this point very clear. However, unfortunately, in practice, as we both know, this is often lip service. Bench trial judges do whatever they see as appropriate, just not following the FRE closely. So I guess that begs the question, do we really need evidence rules for bench trials? So in some ways, I'm asking why you're so skeptical of this let-it-all-in, free-proof approach. The traditional justification, and this goes back to Thayer, I think, is that the evidentiary rules are there primarily either to help guide the jury in its decision-making or basically to prevent jurors from going off the rails and making really inappropriate inferences. But judges are perfectly sophisticated legal actors. So why can't they just let it all in and in fact give it the weight that the evidence deserves? This is a very good question. Traditionally, evidence scholars did think in this way. For example, in European continental law countries and to legal philosophers like Jeremy Bentham, when trial judges are the trials of fact, Evaluation of evidence should be governed solely by common sense and general experiences rather than any rules because they believe in free proof. They basically believe that judges had some extraordinary decision-making abilities. So the conventional theory is evidence rules are for less capable people, meaning ordinary random selected people like laborers but not for judges in bench trials. But here my question is, are judges really that exceptional? But what about this idea that judges are sophisticated actors? I mean, shouldn't we think that they're at least somewhat better than ordinary people at these tasks? The answer is maybe yes, maybe no. In recent years, more and more empirical studies have found that Judges, when they acting as trials of fact, are susceptible as 
the same problem as Ledger's. For example, Chris Guthrie and his co-authors in their article demonstrated that judges are also vulnerable to epistemic pitfalls like anchoring, hindsight bias, and egocentric bias. And in another empirical studies on criminal trial in Northern Ireland, United Kingdom, John Jackson and Sean Doran noted that once the trial began, judges tended to get a feel of the case sooner than a jury and formed a view very quickly. To be clear, that is bias too. And here's another perspective. Today, there are more and more new forms of evidence, right? Entering to the courtroom from electronic evidence, including blockchain and AI-based evidence to more scientific and non-scientific expert evidence and statistical evidence. These new forms of evidence are complicated and there's no particular reason to think that judges are going to be any more equipped than jurors to evaluate them. My point here is this new complicated form of evidence demand rules rather than free proof. And I would like to add one more point here. People obviously use common sense to make everyday decisions without resorting to rules of evidence. Again, this is a free proof, but judicial fact-finding at a trial is not everyday factual determination. It is always made at a crucial time with limited resources and incomplete evidence. When you make decisions in this kind of environment, you are making value judgments. You are allocating the risk of errors between plaintiff and defendant or prosecutors and the accused. And that's not something which leads to individual preferences. Let me push you on this a little bit more. So surely it doesn't make sense to have admissibility rules for judges. I mean, after all, it's not like a judge can hear the evidence then say, oh, no, actually, this is inadmissible, and then unring the bell. And that's, I think, one of the things that Guthrie, Ricklinski, and Wistrick really make clear. So whether or not evidence is formally admissible or not isn't going to make a whole lot of difference in a bench trial. Do we really want admissibility rules in bench trials, or are we looking for something different? You're right, Ed. The answer is no. Admissibility rules make a lot of sense when there are some kind of bifurcation between the gatekeeper and the fact finder. However, we don't have this kind of bifurcation currently in American bench trials. Besides that, there are also some other critical differences in how fact finding works between jury trials and bench trials. For example, judges are repeated players versus most jurors are one-time trials of fact. Judges can be more active and might start asking questions when witness testifying at trial. Also, judges often need to provide reasons for their determinations. So definitely we need a different rules here. So what you're saying is that we need some kind of rule in bench trials, but they're going to have to look like different rules. So what would these evidentiary rules in bench trials look like? So first of all, the federal rules of evidence, as we discussed, are not appropriate for bench trials. 
because they assume a bifurcated system. Now, second, the bench trial judge's ultimate concern is not admissibility, but actual fact finding. So the evidence rules for venue trials need to focus on assessing reliability and the sufficiency of evidence, not admissibility. What we need to do here is to stop asking what a reasonable jury would think because there's no jury in bench trials, but instead ask what wise or qualified trial judge would do. I think that the American legal system is not really all that familiar with weighting rules or rules that help us weight the evidence because I think weighting the evidence is generally thought to be the province of the jury. So what would these rules for bench trials look like? Do you have any examples? Sure. The key is the rules should help guide judicial discretion. The rule 702 of FRE is a good example here. It provides a checklist for the trial judges to use in fulfilling their role as gatekeepers rather than providing a list of specific kinds of expert testimony that are considered by the rule makers as reliable or unreliable. Rule 702's drafting technique focuses on regulating the process of assessment rather than its result. And this is very likely, in my opinion, the right form for preparing evidence rules for bench trials. Another example is rule 403. It admonishes trial judges to do the right thing in balancing the probative value of evidence with its dangers, but still gives judges enough leeway to exercise reasonable discretion, right? Rule 807 is another good example for handling hearsay evidence. All these three examples have provided a methodology, or to say best practices that the trial judges can follow. Also, we should keep rules relating to external policies like privileges and perhaps the policy-based exclusions in rule 407 to rule 415. It's kind of interesting. In some of these systems that feature judicial fact-finding, you tend to see the rise of precedent regarding inferences. And again, you don't see these kinds of precedents in jury systems because every jury is unique and fact-finding is the province of the jury. So for example, I know that in Jewish law, there are rules that govern the conditions that are sufficient for a court to determine that a missing person is in fact dead. And I wonder if you might see these kinds of rules of inference showing up if you started to develop rules for bench trials. Oh, absolutely. This is uh, another path for developing evidence rules for bench trials. In fact, this is how evidence law in the common law system initially developed through cases or judge-made law, right? In a sense, judges may be more welcoming of evidence rules developed through this way because they are more organic and empirically proven. I definitely would like to spend more time in studying this path in the future. Final question for you. 
What's next for you? Where does your research go from here? Thanks, Ed. This article, uh, Evidence Rules for Bench Trial, is just the beginning of my exploration of alternative evidence rules to FRE. My latest working paper is on evidential rules for arbitration. There are plenty of similarities between bench trials and arbitration. Obviously, both have no jury and thus no bifurcation in factor finding. Both uh, bench trial judges and most arbitrators are legal professionals. But there are still some fundamental differences between these two. For one, arbitration has a private contract nature which demand party autonomy, meaning requiring the evidence rules for arbitration to stay in the form of soft law. That's not the case for bench trials. Also, arbitration has a high priority on efficiency and the use of documentary evidence, whereas bench trials are still trial-centric and mostly focused on live witness testimony. Right now, the practice in arbitration is also basically free proof. So it seems to me that it could benefit from having at least some evidence rules. And in my opinion, it may be even more promising than making evidence rules for bench trials, since arbitrators may be a little bit more open-minded, but we will see. Well, Henry, Thanks for taking the time to discuss how the evidentiary rules might be adapted to the bench trial context. Certainly a timely and important issue. Great having you on the show. Thanks a lot for having me, Ed. Henry's research agenda takes a much needed look at evidence law in a post-jury world. His article on bench trials as well as his in-progress work on arbitration and administrative proceedings, asks important and tough questions about what evidence law might look like in the future. And the future is not just where evidence has been, namely with admissibility rules that screen evidence from a jury. For evidence to remain relevant as a field, it has to acknowledge that dispute resolution has moved to other venues and that the traditional rules that we all know and love may not be the appropriate ones for these emerging venues. What I find most exciting about this thread of scholarship is that it provides us an enormous amount of room for growth. Fundamentally, evidence and proof is everywhere. And so there's always important work to be done in helping decision makers of a variety of different stripes reach accurate and just decisions. But I think sometimes we all get a bit too caught up in the federal rules. Great as they are, they were meant only for a specific context, and really they shouldn't capture all of the limelight. I'm very much looking forward to seeing where Henry's scholarship moves next and seeing what insights we might be able to gain about evidence and proof by comparing one context with another. 
Support for Excited Utterance is generously provided by Vanderbilt Law School's Brandstetter Litigation and Dispute Resolution Program, as well as the University of Arkansas School of Law. Thanks also to Harvard Law School, which is hosting me for the fall semester. The associate producer is Alex Nunn, and the production editor is Madeline DiPietro. Additional production assistance is provided by Kyra Hammond, and music is provided by the Vanderbilt University Blair School of Music's Children's Cello Choir under the direction of Kirsten Castle Greer. I'm your host, Ed Chang, and I hope you'll join us again next time when we take on another new work in the world of evidence and proof.